0: Chapter fifty one of Hallworths This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox recording by John Brandon Hallworths By Francis Hodgson Burnett Chapter fifty one The Only One As Is Nay A Fool The next day all Broxton knew the story well he were nay so soft after all more than one excellent matron remarked mr french heard the news from his valet in the morning he had been very unwell for several days he had eaten nothing and slept very little and had been obliged to call in his physician who pronounced his case the result of too great mental strain and prescribed rest he came down to breakfast with an unwholesome face and trifled with his food without eating it he glanced furtively at Rachel again and again. "I shall not go to the bank to-day," he said timorously at last. "I'm worse than ever. I shall remain at home and try to write letters and rest are Are you going out?" Yes, she answered. "Oh, then, after a pause, he said, "I saw Brierly yesterday." and he said mrs dixon was very ill you sometimes go there i believe yes suppose suppose you call this morning to inquire it looks well to show a a sort of interest in them you might take something nourishing with you he flinched when she raised her eyes and let them rest a moment upon him her look was strongly suggestive of the fact that she could better rely upon the result of her own calculations concerning him than upon the truth of his replies if she deigned to ask him questions i thought he faltered that it would look well to evince some interest as the man has been in our employ and you have had the woman about the house.' "'Certainly,' she replied. "'It would be well enough. I will go.' After breakfast, she ordered the carriage, and went to her room and made her toilet with some care. Why she did so was best known to herself. Nothing is more certain than that she scarcely expected to produce a great effect upon Granny Dixon.' the truth was she would have made her visit to the brierleys in any case and was not in the least moved thereto by her father's unexpected anxiety but when she reached the cottage and entered it she began immediately to repent having come a neighbour woman sat nursing the youngest Briarly. there was a peculiar hush upon the house and the windows were darkened she drew back with a feeling of alarm and annoyance what is the matter she demanded impatiently of the woman why have you darkened the room the old lass is dein, was the business-like answer and they're hain some trouble wi her she conna even de loike o their folk she drew back her annoyance becoming violent repulsion she turned pale, and her heart began to beat violently. She knew nothing of death, and was not fearless of it. Her inveterate calm failed her in thus being brought near it. "'I will go away,' she said. And she would have gone, but at that moment there arose a sound of voices in the inner room, Mrs. Brierly's and Janie's, and above theirs Granny Dixon's, brokenly and yet, with what seemed terrible loudness in the hush of the house. "'Bring her, e' here,' she was saying. "'Bring her, e' here, and make her do it.' And then came out Mrs. Brierly, looking fagged and harassed. "'I ax thy pardon, miss,' she said. "'But she says she wants thee— "'She says she wants thee to be a witness to Summit.' "'I will not go.' she replied. I, I am going away. I never saw any one before in that condition. But the terrible voice raised itself again, and despite her terror and anger, held and controlled her. I see her, it cried. Make her come in. I knowed her grandfather when I were a lass seventy years ago. She will nay harm thee, said mrs brierly and partly because of a dread fascination and partly because the two women regarded her with such amazement she found herself forced to give way and enter it was a small room and dark and low the bed was a huge four-poster which had belonged to granny dixon herself in her young days the large flowered patterns of its chintz hangings were faded with many washings of the woman lying upon it, there was little left but skin and bone. She seemed all eyes and voice, eyes which stared and shone in the gloom, and voice which broke upon the silence with an awesome power. She's been speaking almost whisper till today," explained Mrs. Brierly under her breath, and aw, at once the change set in, and it coom back as loud as ever. She lifted her hands, beckoning with crooked fingers. Come the here, she commanded. Rachel French went to her slowly. She had no color left, and all her hauteur could not steady her voice. What do you want? she asked, standing close beside the bed. For a few seconds there was silence, in which the large eyes wandered from the border of her rich dress to the crown of her hair. Then Granny Dixon spoke out. "'Where's flower," she cried. "'That's getting it on thee again. "'I can smell it.' It was true that she wore it at her throat as she had done before. A panic of disgust took possession of her as she recollected it. It was as if they two were somehow bound together by it. She caught at it with tremulous fingers, and would have flung it away, but it fell from her uncertain clasp upon the bed, and she would not have touched it for worlds. Gee it to me, commanded Granny Dixon. Pick it up for her, she said, turning to Mrs. Brierly, and it was done, and the shriveled fingers held it, and the old eye devoured it. "'He used to wear He his buttonhole, proclaimed the voice. "'And he were a handsome chap seventy years ago.' "'Did you send for me to tell me that?' demanded Rachel French. Granny Dixon turned on her pile of pillows. "'Nay,' she said, and I'm forgotten. There was a gasp between the two last words as if suddenly her strength was failing her get thee a pen and and write some it, she ordered get it quickly said rachel french and let me humour her and go she noticed the little gap between the words herself and the next instant saw a faint grey pallor spread itself over the old woman's face get the pen and paper she repeated and call in the woman they brought her the pen and paper and called the woman, who came in stolidly, ready for any emergency. Then they waited for commands. But for several seconds there was a dead pause, and Granny Dixon lay back, staring straight before her. Quick, said Rachel French. What do you want? Granny Dixon rose, by a great effort upright from her pillows. She pointed to Mrs. Brierly with a sharp bony forefinger i leave it ah to her she proclaimed every penny she's the only one among em as is nay a fool and then she fell back and panted and stared again mrs brierly lifted her apron and burst into tears she means the brass she wailed ay hey, poor old lass who'd ha thought it do you mean asked rachel french that you wish her to have your money a nod was the answer and mrs brierly shed sympathetic tears again here was a reward for her labours indeed what she wrote miss french scarcely knew in the end there was her own name signed below and a black scrawling mark from granny Dixon's hand the woman who had come in made her mark also make a black un said the testatrix let's hay it plain then turning to rachel just to want to know where the money come from fro will french fro him he were one of the gentry when all were said and done, and I were a handsome lass. When it was done they all stood and looked at each other. Granny Dixon lay back upon her pillows, drawing sharp breaths. She was looking only at Rachel French. She seemed to have forgotten all the rest of them, and what she had been doing. All that was left of the voice was a loud, halting whisper. Where's the flower? she said. I cannot smell it. It was in her hand. Rachel French drew back. Let me go, she said to Mrs. Briarly. I cannot stay here. He used to wear in his buttonhole, she heard, seventy years ago. And she's the very moral on him and scarcely knowing how, she made her way past the women and out of the house and into the fresh air and sunshine. Drive home, she said to the coachman, as quickly as possible. She leaned back in the corner of the carriage, shuddering. Suddenly she burst into wild tears. But there were no traces of her excitement when she reached home she descended from the carriage looking quite herself and after dismissing it went up to her own room about half an hour later she came down and went into the library her father was not there and on inquiring as to his whereabouts from a servant passing the open door she was told that he had gone out he had been writing letters it was evident his chair stood before his desk and there was an addressed envelope lying upon it she went to the desk and glanced at it without any special motive for doing so it was addressed to herself she opened and read it my dear rachel it ran in all probability we shall not meet again for some time i find myself utterly unable TO REMAIN TO MEET THE BLOW WHICH MUST INEVITABLY FALL BEFORE MANY DAYS ARE OVER. THE ANXIETY OF THE PAST YEAR HAS MADE ME A COWARD. I ASK YOUR FORGIVENESS FOR WHAT YOU MAY CALL MY DESERTION OF YOU. WE HAVE NEVER RELIED UPON EACH OTHER MUCH, AND YOU AT LEAST ARE NOT INCLUDED IN MY RUIN. YOU WILL NOT BE CALLED UPON TO SHARE MY POVERTY. You had better return to Paris at once. With a faint hope that you will at least pity me, I remain your affectionate father, Gerard French. End of chapter fifty one. Recording by John Brandon.